for such prophetic lyrics ushering in this ushering us in on a regular basis here at the radio ranch here comes samuel calling in already uh at the radio ranch at the old people's patriot network let's see if microsoft merges samuel in or not we'll see yeah there he is they merged him in okay roger sales your host call screener technical guy a newsman not much in the sports department these days overall commentator and analyst and i'm here for you and i'm glad you're out there listening and it's the people's patriot network and today's the numerically it's 31720 i'm not sure how significant that is in the numerical department but it's significant in the fact that we got my old buddy harvey wysong with us today as uh, promoted here i believe harv's with us and we're going to spend the majority of the day uh, in the health department on the health leg of the freedom stool and uh, talking about coronavirus and all things in that direction and so i know he's been doing some buffing up and probably got something prepared for us today and it's always a pleasure hey samuel want to welcome you it's always a pleasure to have harvey with us and harvey and i go back during near 30 years i believe and uh, i heard this guy on a radio show where we first uh, encountered each other he didn't know i was listening though and uh, he was being interviewed at the time on a station there that's the station i guess it's probably got the most notorious thing in gst's folder i suppose is they were the launch pad for sean hannity and uh you were on over there being interviewed by somebody i don't remember if it was mike rose or who you were on with but at that time harvey was extremely immersed in the fully informed jury association and he was talking about fija on the radio and i distinctly remember i was driving i had a little old green 280z and I'd been down in Atlanta for something. I was driving back out to Marietta. It's about a 30-minute drive. And on the way, I was listening to GST and heard Harvey. And I literally pulled off to the side of the road on the interstate there and wrote down his phone number when he gave it and contacted him when when I got home or the next day. I don't remember. And we've been friends ever since. So uh, always a pleasure, to especially to get you back on the format we originally uh, met on. Uh, Harvey, and that's the radio, and a little different message today, uh, but certainly the times oh, have yeah. progressed a lot in 30 years, buddy. Do you remember back then in the 90s when there was no light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, I, it, that really is true. It's just, it was darkness everywhere uh, with Brother Clinton and his charming bride. Uh, occupying the White House. Uh, you know, it was just uh, what what a time it was. It was just depressing, wasn't it? Well, there, like I said, there wasn't very much hope, and all we were doing is opening these curtains and getting all this really bad, startling information and having to put it together to see how gloomy the future looked. And there weren't very many outlets that looked encouraging. No. Uh, there were not, it just, uh, but you know, we had people, uh, who were willing to stand up and fight and we thought, uh, you know, I thought back then, and I still think today that 
the jury was a great instrument for uh, well for restoring freedom you know, in the country. What John thought, my teacher, who you knew, Harvey knew John, and they got in because John yep. was so health oriented in his last couple of years, and he and Harvey got together, and I guess spent a lot of time on the phone talking health stuff. But John always felt yeah. that the jury was what anchored and secured the Republican form of government. Yeah, uh, it was, but they've done an they've done an end around on us. Uh, surprise, surprise. Yeah, and that and that's called the public school. Uh, so now kids are coming out of school with no real understanding, uh, and also we've just. Uh, effectively eviscerated the churches so they no longer even teach christianity but um, they teach churchy well, churchianity yeah yeah so uh the one thing you can't can't teach these days uh is the ten commandments oh don't do that oh we're not under law we're we're under grace so we can go out and live like pagans, uh, but it'll be quite okay. You know, we don't have to worry about it. So we're saved by the blood of Jesus. Well, you, you know, he, Jesus had something to say about that, about people that go preach in his name and uh, claim they work miracles in his name, but uh, he said, you know, what he, he said he was going to tell them how. I never knew you. You say, Lord, Lord, at the judgment. I never knew you. You never knew me either. That's the big thing. So uh, we've got we've got a different culture today than we had uh, back uh, a century and more before. We don't have this common moral culture like we once had. So we, the jury. Gosh. No, we do have it's a sad. common, well, more, on, almost but... a common moral culture. Unfortunately, like you said, it's not the one we used to have, and this one's almost in the gutter, or it is in the gutter. Yeah, it's uh, uh, you, you. You can't count on it because people today seem to believe that uh, they get their morality from government, not not from. Uh, not from the book of morality, which is the Bible. They get it from government. I'm sorry. Well, look, let's jump in. We've got a lot of ground to cover here. Yeah, legal, uh, legal has taken over law. Yes, that's correct. Let's, let's, As it says, in, you know, and I'll just let Harvey launch into his deal, but Tom Schramm is the one that found this, Harvey, somebody you know. And in the, yep. in the secret weapons for silent wars, at the bottom of a page, there's a footnote down there, and it says, whatever we do may not always be lawful, but it will always be legal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, uh, look, I, I sort of titled this little talk, uh, Coronaviruses, Pandemics, and Panic. 
And, and, and as you uh, launch into that, there's one other important point I need to make. All of these things, if there's any enforcement right. or whatever, don't forget all the laws are written for persons. If you filed an affidavit, you're yeah. not one of those. Now, in one of these, if it gets to a point where there's roundup and forced quarantine stuff, I don't know how much, I don't know how much water that argument's going to hold. All right, but I do know that if you've got that in with a passport, from the information we've gotten, which I believe to be correct, internally in your profile, you're listed as having diplomatic immunity over under a courier type status and that would fit perfectly with the original laws given from god to the state citizens so uh, i just keep that in yeah. mind as we go forward it's something that's important it's a fine line if there's people listening that aren't aware of this you can find out about it but don't forget all laws are written for persons actions or things with the majority being written for persons and you don't have to be one that's a legal color of art term go ahead harvey okay roger well I, may I well hold on Sam, hold on harvey samuel go ahead samuel listen once harvey starts i'm going to try not to interrupt him but go ahead samuel while yes, we're at this lull at the I start. realize that and i realize that and that's why i called in early is because i wanted to get this in before harvey started and it, i'll be quick this is stuff you're not going to hear anywhere else. Um, I listen to uh, Paul Preston every morning, and uh, he's the guy trying to move California into the 51st oh, yeah. state, right? And 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 basically separate the, the the major cities from the rural parts, so that old California will be the cities, and the other parts will be the rural parts, which is 80 percent, 85 percent of the. Anyways, Paul has said that the governor of this state, this is in, because he's connected into the halls of the Sacramento State uh, lobby here and stuff and what's going on, and under the sheets there, these guys are brewing up a trillion-dollar loan from China for California, and they are going to give our resources as collateral. Wouldn't surprise me in the least. Anyways, I just wanted to get that out there, and they seized 10... Uh, uh, 18 wheelers coming over the southern border full of cocaine and it sounds like they arrested a whole bunch of our border agents really that's down around san diego the san diego crossing or somewhere down. i don't uh -huh. know what i don't know what border crossing it was 10 10 18 wheelers 18 wheelers it's most likely the big ones yeah wow well we'll look for that news story to pop up somewhere i hadn't seen it anywhere yet anyway, where'd you hear that it. samuel paul preston as well okay Interesting. All right. Well, we got that out of the way. Harvey, I'm going to do a little drum roll and turn it over to you. Buddy. Okay. Okay. We're going to filibuster here for a while. Okay. So this is what I started writing a while back. I said, uh, as I write this in March of 2020, the world is in a panic. Economies are spiraling downward. People are buying and hoarding worthless commodities and new untested vaccines are being cooked up like McDonald's hamburgers. And, of course, anyone that suffers harm from these untested vaccines has no legal recourse against the manufacturers because, because government exempted them by law from product liability. Cruise ships are idle. Airliners are grounded. Schools are closed. Store shelves are empty of toilet paper. Face masks have been rationed. Seminars and conventions have been canceled. 
the worldwide flow of products has been disrupted, and the answer of so-called scientists has been to develop fast-track vaccines, push hand sanitizers, and advocate for self-quarantine. Seeking guidance from the government is as foolish as giving the car keys to a drunk. But there's a difference. The drunk lacks intelligence and has no plan for successful navigation. But when a skeptical observer studies the actions of government, it appears at first glance that government also lacks intelligence and a plan for success. But a deeper look at government reveals that government's actions are guided by very intelligent people his navigation is unerring, and his goal is financial profit and control. But a deep, but uh, all government health, so-called health agencies, have long been subverted from the protection of public health and redirected to the advancement of well-being of. Let's go down the list. Pharmaceutical companies, most profitable corporations on the planet Earth. Medical technology companies like MRI devices, testing laboratories, scalpels, rubber tubings, hospital beds, patient monitoring devices, everything you can think of that goes on in the medical business. Hospitals, government agencies and bureaucrats, medical doctors. Some college professors who are on big pharma's payroll, colleges and universities who receive huge payouts in the forms of government research grants, nurses, physical therapists, respiratory therapists, medical record specialists, and other health care workers. So why don't these people just do what's right and tell the people what COVID-19 is, how it was created, how to avoid contracting, and what will cure it if you can't avoid it? Well, that would be a financial disaster for them. <laughs> and in some cases, financial destruction. And this falls under the principle of human behavior known by the Latin phrase. And Roger, you may remember this. Non se ugulabit porcus. A hog won't butcher itself. So uh, now let me let me go back and tell you, I'm. I've got a bit of personal and family and friends history with the flu and flu vaccines, all of which convinced me to join the camp of those people mocked by the establishment as anti-scientific skeptics. So I joined a long time ago. Looking back through my computer files, I found that I wrote an article back in 2009 that's almost identical to what I want to say today. Uh, remember another version of the flu was destroying all life on earth back in 2009. Uh, they call it H1N1 or swine flu. I think that was it. Funny how we find ourselves back in panic mode again. It's about the, about the umpteenth time in my life. Here's uh, one paragraph of what I wrote. The, Headlines are screaming at us. School officials talk as if we're under imminent nuclear attack. Talking heads endlessly repeat the government pharma complex propaganda. Yes, Chicken Little would be proud. We finally have it on good authority that the sky is falling. Well, back in August of 2009, 
Bloomberg News thoughtlessly echoed the government propaganda ministry. I mean, Bloomberg's just one that said almost exactly the same thing, uh, saying that as many as 1.8 million people could be hospitalized that fall because of the swine flu. They said it could cause 30,000 to 90,000 deaths in the United States. But why did they stop there? It could cause 8 million deaths in the United States or 100 million. Then again, maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it wouldn't kill anybody. Maybe it would just kill the gullible, those who get their medical advice from the government pharma alliance. To put us in the panic mode, they always dredge up the great Spanish flu pandemic that swept the world during the First World War. Well, explaining the government's predictions, Bloomberg wrote, The models were based on past pandemics. I say, good, good. Let's talk about the great Spanish flu pandemic. In 1918, my mother was five years old, living in Algiers, Louisiana, just across the river from New Orleans. Mm -hmm. There was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, there was a little ferry there. I think it was called the Algiers Point Canal Street Ferry. And, uh, and it still runs today as what I saw on a map the other day. Um, of course, they got the Huey Long Bridge as well. But, uh, I think Algiers but is over by of Gretna. The... Gretna's on the other side of the river there, too. They probably use the same ferry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and back then, there were several ferries, but I couldn't quite find the names of them. I was interested. But, but because of the flu... Uh, my mother's mother kept her and her older brother and sister indoors. And because there were so many, well, the street they lived on led to the ferry. And there were so many funerals passing the house that the kids entertained themselves by counting funerals. Can you imagine? Uh, let's see. She uh, so there have been eight, seven, and five years of age. And you know how short an attention span kids had. You know how many funerals they had to have for those kids to keep count of the funerals? They had to be bumper to bumper, so to speak, even though there weren't many automobiles. But anyhow, isolating the kids wasn't enough to keep them from catching the flu somehow. The entire family came down with it. Uh, of course, it was called the Spanish flu, but uh, uh, my mother's aunt Beryl came to take care of them, and mom recalled that uh, she gave them hot toddies. Well, that meant honey, lemon juice, and bourbon whiskey mm-hmm. mixed together for kids. <laughs> well, actually, for my grandmother as well. I don't know whether my grandfather came down with it but i know that my grandmother mother aunt and uncle were all down but they all recovered on that sophisticated medical procedure and then in 1966 i working for a furniture dealer in buckhead and i befriended a lovely woman named helen pace thompson uh, of atlanta she and her husband schly were prominent bankers in the Buckhead area. She came from one of the most prominent families 
in Atlanta and memorializing such street names as Roger remembers well. Pace's Ferry Road. Of course. Pace's Mill Road and and all the, the governor, the governor, that. the governor's mansion, and the people that own Coke as well as Cox are all on West Paces Ferry Road for the audience. Yeah, there, there you go. Uh, and the streets that run right off it, you know, Habersham and uh, and uh, what was the other? Oh, Tuxedo Road and that yeah, all right, run right. right off Paces Ferry. Right. But in 1918. Helen Pace was a student at Georgia Women's College in Milledgeville. Which is down and by Macon. she caught the flu. and Yeah, yeah, over to the east of Macon. And she caught the flu, and she was treated by the college's doctor. Uh, when, they, <laughs> when they notified mm-hmm. her father about the uh, care she was receiving, uh, she had been placed outside on the porch in the fresh air covered by blankets in the, in the dead of winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the accepted treatment for the Spanish flu. Mm-hmm. They had this belief that Spanish flu was caused by bad air. Of course, you know, there's no such, not, no one knew anything about viruses. They didn't exist back in 1918. Uh, so, um, uh, so anyhow, she she was out there on the porch in the dead of women, de- dead of winter, and uh, she told me that her father, who was a medical doctor, erupted like Mount Vesuvius when he the doctor told him what he had done for Helen, and he told the doctor to move her inside immediately, get her out of the weather, keep her room comfortable, give her plenty of fluids, and unlike some others, she recovered quite well. And she told me, you know, my father was the only doctor in Smyrna, Georgia, and he never lost a single patient to the flu. So here's this disease that's sweeping the the uh, Western world, killing people by the zillions. But in Smyrna, Georgia, not one single people, one, one single person dies. So what I take away from. Mrs. Thompson's story was it wasn't the flu that kills so many people, but misguided treatments. And I still believe that is exactly the case it's today. true. In so, many instances, probably real yeah. true. Yeah. They probably then, bled, a, bled a few of them over on the side. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in 1961 or 62, so I don't, you know, with, winter, fall or winter, my grandmother's doctor advised her to get a flu shot. It's my mother's mother. She took his advice and became so sick. I I was off at college. She became so sick that my mother had to move her into our house to take care of her. Uh, And this was a major illness for a rugged, uh, self-reliant woman who supported herself, kept her own apartment, until her death at the age of 86. Uh, and then my next experience was 1968. I was stationed at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and I was required to get a flu shot by the Marine Corps. Uh, it made me horribly sick. I couldn't even drive to work. The medicine that the doctor gave me to counteract the symptoms made it even worse. So the next year, 
69, they called me from the dispensary and said, uh, Lieutenant, you haven't gotten your flu shot. <laughs> and a, a very colorful stream of language proceeded from my mouth. And the corpsman just laughed like crazy because he knew me and knew what I was doing to him. And I said, you go over there to headquarters building and tell the colonel that if he wants Lieutenant Weiss on to get a flu shot, he's going to need to get some MPs to help. Uh, they they can court-martial me, uh, they can uh, whatever they want, but I'm not taking a flu shot. And then I got out, you know, I got released from active duty. But all this happy talk from the government pharma complex uh, cheerfully ignores all the damage done by vaccines, especially to children. It's just a coincidence, they claim. You know, they've got experts to back up their sunny predictions but but guess who's paying the experts well the guy that pays the piper picks the tune and the lyrics and guess what tune the experts are playing well what if we don't take vaccines oh what can we do if we don't take vaccines i've been hearing that for decades well why don't you ask the question what can we do if we do take the vaccine they produce tens of millions of doses of vaccines and rush it to market without the standard safety test. And if people begin to exhibit adverse reactions to the vaccine, do you really think they're going to withdraw it from the from the market and destroy all the product? It, it's much more likely that Nancy Pelosi is not a space alien. Well, how do the coronaviruses kill? Now, the coronavirus is a big family. You know that. The common cold is a coronavirus and all these other things, Spanish flu, all of them. So uh, COVID-19, while it's supposed to be very different, much more virulent than others, it's not. It's, uh, it's a coronavirus. But back in 2008, uh, I befriended a brilliant scientist named Nobuto Yamamoto. And Dr. Yamamoto had taught medical school for 35 years, starting in Japan and then coming to the United States. Uh, reason I got in touch with him is he had discovered a true cure for cancer, which he named GC math, but it didn't just cure cancer. Uh, it worked for an unlimited number of illnesses that arose from a dysfunctional immune system. You see it worked because it restored the immune system to better than normal function. And so let me, here's a long story. Let me just skip over a lot of details here for the sake of time and explain that the macrophage is a huge white blood cell, and it's the most important component in the cell in cellular immunity. That means the white, you know, the white blood cells. It kills foreign organisms or anything that's not natural or normal in the body uh, by gobbling them up. It just swallows them, engulfs them, and then it alerts the helper T cells by displaying parts of what it gobbled up on the outside of its cell membrane. So it swallows something, breaks off certain pieces that are, um, that are, that are key to identifying the invader. And it's, it's uh, as the term is used, it's expressed on the cell membrane. So then the helper T, that's the helper T cells then, Examine the surface. They're always doing this. Examine the surface of the macrophage. And when they see these bits of the foreign protein, 
they're alerted to what it is. They, they know what needs to be done, and they recruit the proper B cells to make antibodies to attack the invader. Then the B cells also direct the killer T cells to attack the invaders. So that's how you get rid of things, and that's your, you know, the T cells and the B cells are your uh, your acquired immune system because they acquire knowledge through experience. That's why it's called that. And the others, you know, as I'm getting off on a rabbit trail. But anyhow, cancer cells. Uh, well, let me, let me back up one step. If macrophages are not activated, they just circulate in the bloodstream and they don't do anything. They're just, they're just, just snoozing. But, uh, but there's an, there's a, uh, a mechanism for activating the macrophages that, and the problem is if you've got cancer and this is what got Dr. Yamamoto trying to track all this down. So, uh, cancer cells produce an enzyme that disable this system for activating the macrophages. The enzyme's called nagalase, mm-hmm. and that's short for N-acetylgalactosaminidase, and you can see why they shortened it. So under normal condition your body activates the macrophages by converting a protein in the bloodstream called gc for short into gc maf maf macrophage activating factor but once cancer gets a foothold it produces nagalase that denatures the gc protein so it can't be converted into gc maf macrophage activating factor and the macrophages remain inert you know inactive in the bloodstream so this mechanism of macrophages eating the 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 cancer cells or the bacteria or the fungi or the viruses and alerting the t cells and the b cells doesn't happen so um they, they just they just keep on circulating and doing nothing but This is the weird thing, and Yamamoto was the first one to alert me to this. Cancer very, very rarely kills anybody. Once the enzyme nagalase has inactivated the macrophage activation system, I call it, uh, then bacteria invade the body and kill the patient by pneumonia or sepsis. So, so it's it not, not only that, it not only masks mm-hmm. itself it masks all other invaders. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, uh, once once you have a sufficient amount of nagalase enzyme in the bloodstream disabling or denaturing the GC protein you, it's like a burglar who cuts the the, yeah, uh, the, the wires alarm. going to the alarm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now there's no signal for there's no way to signal the macrophages that we got trouble and we need help. Uh, so uh, exactly the same thing happens with the flu viruses. The viral coating around these viruses contains nagalase 
And once the virus is into a cell, it leaves that coating behind on the outside. It breaks down, it circulates in the bloodstream, and it disables the macrophage activation system exactly the same way cancer cells do. So uh, people who are said to be killed by the flu or coronavirus are actually killed by pneumonia Pneumonia. or sepsis. Right. Yeah, yeah, pneumonia. So my grandfather, Wysong, died in 1917, supposedly of the flu, but he didn't. He He died of pneumonia. And so uh, antibiotics, you know, uh, even vancomycin and uh, methicillin, they are uh, woefully inadequate uh, to, you know, to deal with really advanced bacterial infection. And uh, especially the bacteria you pick up by going to a hospital. If you're already sick with, you got the flu, then you've got a suppressed dysfunctional immune system. You go into a hospital to be treated, you're going to encounter these bugs that have been lifting weights uh, in the hospital, and they're ready for antibiotics. You know, they, you know, they call them VR vancomycin-resistant organisms and methicillin or, you know, uh, MRSA. Uh, so MRSA, uh, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. And so the wrong place to go is the hospital. The best place to go is your own bedroom. Uh, but there are things that help to deal with these infections. One of them is glycans, glyconutrients. And, uh, and let me say that there's a, uh, a friend of mine that uh, produces these out in Boise, Idaho. His name is Mike West. And the name of his, his organization is Glycop, G, well, Glyco Co-op. But his website is Glycop, G-L-Y-C-O-P dot com. You've got to be a member, which costs nothing. But you're a member of the co-op, so he can speak freely with you. And he's not giving medical advice. He's just sharing information with another member of the co-op. The prices are bargain. And I think what people would want to get for uh, the just for general immune function and everything else would be his formula that's called the classic formula. And... Uh, once again, it's www.glycop.com. Now, there's another technique for reversing massive bacterial infections, and that's called photoluminescence, but it's very, very difficult to find a physician that performs photoluminescence. That's where they treat the blood with ultraviolet light. And there's some, there's some very good. That's mainly European, right? Didn't they start doing that in Europe? I heard about it a few years ago. I'd forgotten about that though. Yeah. But, uh, actually it started here in the U S in the late twenties. I believe it was. And, 
Uh, there was an underground movement back then, opposed, of course, by the AMA and of course. Uh, government. But yeah, but they uh, they demonstrated that they could take uh, a little bit of blood and put it in a light box with a UV lamp and then re-inject it into the patient. And it would cure one, one wonderful case that I remember was up in Philadelphia at Hahnemann Hospital. And I think it was 1941, right around there, early, early 40s. And there was a young woman who was seven months pregnant. And she had come down with polio and uh, nothing they did worked. So they called in this one doctor who was uh, very, well, he was known to be a, a great authority on photoluminescence and he used it quite frequently in his practice. So he came in and this woman had not only polio, but it was called bulbar polio. That's where it gets into the brain stem. And so she had begun to lose control of her body, I think, including respiration. You remember the iron lungs mm-hmm, that they had mm-hmm. back then. Uh, and that's what's paralyzed. And, that's what paralyzed polio victims is when it got to the, the brain stem. So the brain stem. Yeah. Huh. Uh, okay. And, and something like 80% of those with bulbar polio, died and so here's this woman seven months pregnant bulbar polio and this doctor whose name i forget came in and treated her one time with photoluminescence and she got up out of her bed and walked well she had a relapse and he treated her a second time and she was cured she delivered a perfectly healthy baby at full term Hmm. and she hadn't she had no after effects from polio like a withered limb Mm -hmm. or you know the we saw all the all the kids that had contracted polio had the legs that were so they were just emaciated right no muscle in them right so anyhow that's one thing that could be done but it's hard to find it um, now another technique that's used is to treat the blood with ozone, ozonation of the blood. And that is very well documented for destroying infectious organisms, no harm to the body at all. Some other things you can do are extremely high levels of vitamin C. And I'm talking about if you can get a good alternative physician, uh, like my friend Rhett Bergeron and Alpharetta, you can you can uh, take a hundred fifty to one hundred and fifty grams of vitamin C intravenously. You can take liposomal vitamin C. Uh, you're well familiar with that, aren't we you? We talk Roger? about it here all, all the time. I just made a fresh batch right. day for yesterday and took some right for the show. I thought you said that on the program yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So liposomal vitamin C. Listen, that's uh, such a one. But going to Harvey's friend or any other person that's going to give you a drip IV 
first of all, they're they're not around the corner. You're going to have to go somewhere. It's a little more difficult to do these days. Yeah, you got to lay exactly. down and get stuck with a needle, and you got to lay there while they drip it all in you. And then with your hand trembling, you got to go over and write a check for all that. And, <laughs> and it's not, and it's if I've heard correctly, it's not exactly inexpensive. Now, the, the drawbacks there are you only get about 70% or so absorption rate. With liposomal vitamin C, you can go get yourself a $20 ultrasound machine, buy $15 or less worth of vitamin C, and $15 or less, it was $8 when I bought it the other day, uh, and, and lecithin. And you do a little thing for a few minutes, and you put it in the refrigerator, and that lecithin and vitamin C will probably last you, as one person, at least a year for less than $30. That's it. Yep. So what's the obvious uh, course of action? Well, yeah, well, kind of a uh, no-brainer, really. Yeah, but yeah, and I, I heard from a friend one day at a uh, at some meeting. We're just standing there talking that uh, that you can put the vitamin C and the lecithin into a blender, like a Vitamix. Uh huh. And just let it run, and it will it will form. Do the same thing. Liposomal vitamin C. Yeah. Uh -huh. So you don't have to have the ultrasonic uh, cleaner okay. like you and I have. I would imagine if you left yeah. that blender on, it would be the friction that created it that gives the heat that allows it to do its thing. Basically, for the audience yeah, he that hadn't heard this, what it does yeah. is it takes a le lecithin as a fat-based substance, and it coats the with this process it coats the vitamin c molecule with the fat and the reason that's, that's important right. is your cell walls are mainly fat and it allows fat to fat to absorb into your individual cell walls and that's why you get such a high exactly. absorption rate with this stuff and whoever thought of that exactly. up and put it together had their thinking hat on <laughs> isn't that the truth yeah it is somebody was thinking that was just a, a stroke of genius it really was uh, the other thing that can be taken is GC math, GC MAF, Dr. Yamamoto's discovery. But where you can get it, well, I don't know. Isn't it, uh, isn't it that, not, that isn't it the those are the scientists and the doctors they're killing that are messing with this? Yep, yep, yep. That's exactly right. They they all of them. Uh, called a contagious disease called Arkansas, and they got suicided. So they all just kind of like, uh, what was that whistleblower from uh, uh, Department of Ham Homeland Security? Haney was his name, who uh, oh, recently decided yes. to commit. Yeah. yeah, Phil Haney, I think, yeah. decided he, he needed to commit suicide. Yes. Well... Isn't that surprising? It was, well, quite, it was a very spontaneous decision. Yeah. All right. Well, let me tell you, uh, sort of get ahead of myself here, tell you the GC math or something can be done to, let's say, mimic GC math. And it's something called Bravo yogurt. And Kay Bailey put me on to this. She used it to... Over, to cure herself of uh, of the shingles, which is uh, herpes uh, uh, shigella, 
the virus. And uh, if it'll work, if it worked for her, and boy, she had a tough case, uh, then let's pay attention. But the outfit that sells this yogurt, there's, there, there are others, but the one that Kay got it from and the one I've ordered it from, uh, it's, I guess it's at my house now, uh, but it's, it's called Bravo Yogurt and comes from the Bravo Co-op. So the web address is bravocoopcoop.com. So B-R-A-V-O-C-O-O-P.com. And, How does it come? Uh, does it come like regular yogurt? Is it something that you rehydrate or what? It You can get it either as a yogurt powder that you uh-huh. mix and make the yogurt yourself, or you can get it shipped to you in a refrigerated container uh, as uh, active, fully uh, developed yogurt. Now you, you, doc- yogurt, you yeah. doctor it, don't you? Uh, no, you just, you make it. That's all. Okay. It's got something like, like 50 different strains of bacteria, friendly bacteria in it. So it's going to be great for your, uh, GI tract, uh, besides everything else, but it does not have, uh, they're careful to say it does not have active uh, or does not have GC math itself in there. I think it's helping the body to produce GC math, but whatever the case, I'm not going to argue. All I know right now is that Kay got well taking now, this. Now, this is a gal that was in our Patriot group, CCG, 30 years ago. Okay, so that's who he's referring to. Go ahead, Harvey. Okay, so. Um, Sweet gal, too. So, uh, all right. So let's let's look at this thing, and uh, you know, this is these are my opinions. Uh, I'm I'm I don't really care if somebody wants to accuse me of practicing medicine. Uh, Just don't be a person. Yeah, don't be a person. So anyhow, this is. Um, what do we do to prevent contracting this coronavirus? And what do we do uh, if and when we do catch it? Okay. So, you know, on the prevention side of thing, you want to get good sleep. Everybody should know that. You, your immune system won't function properly uh, if you're sleep deprived. Uh, you want to keep your hands clean, wash them frequently, use hand sanitizers. You can use these commercial brands, but I prefer to use colloidal silver. Just uh, once you've washed your hands, gotten the grease and oil and, and stuff off your hands, blot them off, put colloidal silver on them, um, Cliff, spread it around. Cliff High recommended. Ju- Cliff yep. High recommended an yep. ounce and a half of bleach and five gallons of water. Well, that's. Uh, I'm not a fan of that. I've got something else I'll tell you about. Okay. Um, and and then so colloidal silver. When you 
just uh, leave it on your hands, let it air dry. Now you've got that those silver particles on your hands, and they are uh, fatal to viruses mm-hmm. and bacteria. So now there's a there's another company. People ought to go look at this one uh, here. Now in the colloidal silver, you can get that in a zillion places. And exactly which one's the best? Mm, well, there's an argument, but uh, do some shopping on your own. Uh, this silver citrate is another one. And the website for this, go go read about it. It's www.silver100.com. Uh, so silver100.com. Uh, now, they sell it in little pump spray bottles, and they've got some good arguments as to why theirs is the most uh, affordable version of colloidal silver. And the advantage of silver citrate is that you've got silver combined with uh, a molecule with a molecule of citric acid. That's right. So it displaces a hydrogen and latches onto the citrate. Now, when that goes into your system, the citrate looks like food to bacteria. So they don't just, you don't have to force it inside. You don't have to have a mechanism. They're just going to swallow it. And in seconds, and I mean less than 30 seconds, most all of the bacteria that, uh, are susceptible to this are going to uh, be dead. Now, there was another company, or there still is, allegedly, that makes silver dihydrogen citrate, and that's pure biotechnologies, I believe it is, in California. I can't get any information on them. You can't buy any of their products on the web, but I've seen miraculous things with this stuff. Uh, I won't go into too many stories about that. Another thing to use on the hands, some people are recommending, is essential oils. and Probably thieves, uh, especially, if you can afford it. Yeah, they, yep, 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 if you can afford it. Now, here's another one that everybody can afford, and that is uh, the Cure Du Jour, a 2 or 3% solution of hydrogen peroxide. Mm-hmm. Just take a little plastic squeeze bottle of peroxide squirt it on your hands and uh, scrub it around and let it stay there till it air dries. Well, of course, it's not going to have any residual effect because the water and the oxygen both go off. Uh, once it's dry, it's, it's over, but it does clean whatever's on the hand at the time. And uh, then Another thing, and I know you've dealt with this before, is chlorine dioxide, right? I believe. You're talking about MMS, right? Yeah, MMS. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some so, here somewhere. Good. I'm proud of you. Uh, I've got some, and I've been using it uh, on the hands. Uh, and I intend to continue doing that. I just put... Uh, three drops from each bottle into a glass, let it react, add a little water, and I use that on my hands. And I noticed uh, Sunday, uh, I put it on my 
hands before I went to church in the evening, and uh, and I could every once in a while I'd sniff my hands to see if I could still smell it, and I could for uh, well over an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Uh, I could smell the chlorine dioxide on my hands, so I know it was still working, and you know that's another. Uh, Another remedy that's very inexpensive and uh, uh, and just good personal hygiene in general. Uh, You know uh, how that works. You know that the history of of uh, plagues and and uh, what's the you know pandemics. uh, They're all. They're all centered in filthy urban conditions. And heaven only knows what this thing is going to do to San Francisco and Los Angeles and the other cities that. It, uh, yeah, I made a prediction about 10 days ago. I think it's going to decimate the homeless people out there yeah. on the West Coast. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, now here's got a new, another got a new name for San Francisco, San Francisco's. Yeah, right. Feces. Right, San Fran feces. Uh, probably accurate. Um, listen, uh, yeah. Samuel, Chris has joined us, too. If you guys could stick your mute on uh, while we're listening, because I want to give Harvey the stage today. He's got done a lot of preparation, got a lot of information, and I could hear you all wrestling around and things you're doing. So if you do that, I'd appreciate it, and we can get a little more. I, I had a quick question. Okay, good. Then then I'll, I'll, I don't believe I have a mute, so I'll go back to tuning. But okay. Okay. Um, Harvey, Harvey, do you, do you see the synergy between cod liver oil and phosphatidylcholine, uh, sort of like the liposomal approach? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've never tested that, so I don't, uh, I don't have anything that I would uh, ask you to rely on uh, for information. Phosphatidylcholine is just good for whatever ails you. Uh, who was it? Somebody at church the other night uh, told me about, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The visiting preacher said that his grandfather or great-grandfather had uh, nearly died of the flu. And he took a teaspoon of cod liver oil uh, every morning for the rest of his life and died in his mid-90s. That isn't too bad a record. So I think cod liver oil is good, but, but let, me, let me tell you about something else here uh, that's coming up. I mean, we, we're talking about cheap, and I, you know, that's one of the things that's important. What can people afford? Like Roger said about uh, intravenous vitamin C, you're going to have to pay over 100 bucks to be treated uh, with intravenous vitamin C uh, by, by any physician's office. You know, they, they've got so many expenses that they've got to pass on to you they've got to be licensed to be doing it and anytime they got to be licensed they got to have insurance that's right and um yeah there's a there's an awful lot to it so uh the next the next thing up and i think this will um uh, is a even better idea than the phosphatidylcholine and uh, castor oil is uh, 
make sure you're taking vitamin D3. Well, I'll, I'll get to that in just a little bit. But, but also uh, vitamin A. And uh, some of you may be familiar with a, a health newsletter called Second Opinion that's uh, written by Dr. Frank Schallenberger. Uh, very, very bright fellow and not afraid to uh, go off on his own with uh, therapies. Um, Schallenberger says, uh, he just reports on what was done in some experiments with uh, vitamin A. And it seems that uh, some researchers who were experimenting with vitamin A used it to treat, uh, oh, what was it? It wasn't, uh, it's one of the viral uh, infections, but they, they treated these cells, cell cultures, with vitamin A and then introduced this particular virus to them, and the virus could not infect the cells. Then they treated them, took a cell culture, and treated them first with an antibody that prevents the cells from producing interferon and introduced next the viruses to the culture, and the viruses went right in and infected the cells. Yeah, so it's interferon. There's a word so we haven't heard inter- in a while. That was real big about exact- 25, 30 years ago, interferon. Yeah, that's exactly right. They were they had high hopes for it, curing everything and making us all immune for all of our excesses. But uh, but what happened uh, is interferon inf- interferes with the replication of viruses, and it's not just the virus that they were testing. They found it uh, uh, it. It interfered with the replication of all the coronaviruses, of the herpes viruses, of every virus they could test. Hmm. So the idea. So they don't want they don't want us having that. So, uh, so what my friend Rhett is recommending twenty thousand international units of vitamin A a day, and Doctor Schallenberg is recommending twenty five thousand units. He has. He has one warning, and that is there are a very few people, but some people, who are hypersensitive to vitamin A, and with dosages in the 25,000 range, they can develop uh, sensitivity to it. They could have bone pain. They could have headaches. They could have uh, other unpleasant symptoms. Uh, after after a few months of treatment with this and he said there's no permanent damage done and the remedy is to either de- decrease or discontinue the vitamin a supplementation and all the symptoms go away i guess that's the the easy way to figure out if your headaches are due to vitamin a uh, is just decrease is just to stop the vitamin A and see what happens. Well, but it's like with vitamin, vitamin C. A- if you're taking too much vitamin C, you'll know because you'll spend an increasing amount of your day on the toilet. <laughs> then, That's right. when you reach that point, you back it down a little bit, and you'll be just That's fine. Exactly right. 
take vitamin C by mouth up to bowel tolerance. And <laughs> if you tolerance. That, well, that's what it's called, bowel tolerance. Uh, so uh, it'll, it'll cause diarrhea after you've reached a certain threshold. The other key to taking vitamin C by mouth is not to take it in just one or two or three doses, but take it all through the day, let's say on an hourly basis, pop a, pop a, cap, pop a tablet or well, pop a capsule or pop whatever it is. Well, that's why got. we recommend with the liposomal vitamin C. You make 16 ounces of it and you stick it in the refrigerator. And every time you walk past the refrigerator, like a guy told me, it's like you're taking a, a very small sip out of a straw and you go, yeah. boom. Yep. And now you might yep. take two that's, sips out of a straw, okay? That's that's right. So, uh, but anyhow, the vitamin A is a great, great remedy. Another cheap remedy that, uh, that uh, Frank Schallenberger recommends is quercetin. Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. Quercetin. It's a cheap supplement. Spell that again slow it, in case somebody wants sure. to write it. Sure. Uh, quercetin is spelled Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. Like it sounds. Yeah, but you could come up with several ways to spell it. And, but uh, but that's the way, quercetin. Uh, and I don't, I don't have a dose to give you, but anybody that's going to take what is it, it can... Figure it out. What it's just it? a naturally occurring uh, plant-based biological substance. It's an extract, uh, strong, uh, anti-infective. It's uh, uh, antioxidant. It's just a great little substance. I'm not taking it, but I ought to be. But, you know, there's a certain limit to how many pills you can keep up with, yeah. how many you can afford and all of that. Um, another one so, we've mentioned on here that I found out about through Dr. Jennifer Daniels years ago is yeah, Moringa. Yeah. Are you aware of Moringa? Yeah, the Indian. Uh-huh. Well, it grows fruit. all over yeah. the world. It grows where other plants can't grow. And the thing that not only does it give you a complete, evidently, buffet of vitamins and minerals to some extent, mm-hmm. but it also is one of the few plants that, uh, is protein that your body recognizes as protein. So, uh-huh. and it's pretty cheap. And uh, if any of you are vegetarians, that'd be a very important aspect to it. But uh, people around the world have had miraculous results with moringa. And I take it every yeah. morning, actually. Yeah. All right. Well, we've also got vitamin D3, and everybody listening ought to be taking it right now. If there's no flu or Uh, or anything else going around the neighborhood, doesn't matter. Vitamin D3 is absolutely critical for the human body. And you ought to be, you know, adults ought to be taking about 5,000 units a day. I'm taking 10. I was taking 20. decided I'd saturated my body and it was time. Now, you know, vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. Uh... Vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin K, and vitamin E are all fat-soluble. So you can get them into the body, and they'll stay there. They dissolve in the fats. 
It's not like vitamin C, which is water-soluble, and the B vitamins, uh, water-soluble. And if you take in more than you need today, then they'll, uh, they will uh, simply uh, flush out in the urine. You know, they're water-soluble. And um, the other, the, um, yeah, so, so take D3, get your body saturated, settle in probably around 5,000 units a day. And that'll, that'll take care of business for you. And then uh, turmeric, uh, you know, looks like, you know, curry. Mm-hmm. Curry powder has that yellow color. Yellow Turmeric's gold. good for everything. Yeah, turmeric is good for everything that ails you. So uh, just take turmeric, and uh, I don't I don't take it right now, but uh, but it's a get get yourself a good dose. You can find recommendations everywhere on how much to take and so uh, Harvey let me ask you a question they're talking about uh, outdoors you're mentioning vitamin D3 specifically part of the D series and generally you can your body can manufacture vitamin D from sun exposure correct yeah that's right is is three one of the ones that your body would normally produce from sun exposure it is the one it is the the other name yeah the other name for it is colocalciferol and uh which the cola indicates that it's produced in the liver which is true Uh uh-huh well, this was but, evidently but the, one of the ways in the Spanish flu, and I saw some pictures of those days in the infirmaries, if you will, which were a bunch of tents set up, and they would pull the patients out of the tents on their cots and put them out in the sun, and they had a, 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 exactly. lot, better, a lot better recovery rate from putting people out in the warm weather in the sun as opposed to your... Uh, your your relative that they the Mrs. Pace that they yeah. stuck out on the, uh, up on the porch. Did and, I you lose know. your rock? No, I hope not. Yeah. I hope not. You there, Harvey? Can you hear me? All right, hold hold on. Just all right. Uh, Can you hear me I or not? Too. Yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good I enough. Just, so I just anyway, got a little signal on. Uh, poor connectivity or something well let me just add this and and wherever you are and of course we're into the spring here uh, i heard some people say yesterday it was a beautiful day where they were and so we're starting to see spring weather and the talk around some of the people like the doctor that's on tucker carlson at night is that they don't know if with this flu if the sunlight cure which because sunlight will kill the stuff circulating if that's going to bear with this as we go forward but it appears one of the ways that you can deal with it in is to get out in the sun you know here we're up at eight thousand feet and man you can yeah. get out in this sun and buddy you'll get a whole bunch of it real quick okay yeah well the reason that people get so sick in the winter is largely due to a deficiency of vitamin D, and that means vitamin D3. And 
the reason is above the 35th parallel in the winter, you get virtually no sunlight, uh, no ultraviolet in mm-hmm. the sunlight. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you may you may be uh, getting out in the sun, but if you're in Milwaukee, <laughs> forget it. Right. Uh, you're not getting any UV light. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia is right around the 35th parallel. So north of Atlanta, Georgia, in the winter, you're getting virtually nothing in the way of UV light, and that means uh, making vitamin D3 on your skin. Besides which, you know, during during those months, we've covered up all of our skin with uh, heavy clothing, and we stay indoors as much as we can, keep warm. So uh just for forget the idea of making it through the winter on the vitamin d3 you stored up during the summer while you were also sitting inside out of the sun um you better take vitamin d3 or eat liver that has a lot of vitamin d3 in it yuck so uh <laughs> I, we have some mutual friends that grew up eating liver and love it uh Roger I hate to tell you um, but, uh, let's see, spirulina is recommended and there's a, something else called beta glucan. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of beta glucan years ago. Um, I don't remember yeah. exactly what it is and it had, I hadn't heard of it in a while. It, it's actually a complex sugar. Uh, it's, uh, there are a lot of sources for it, but the one that, I'm most familiar with is the uh, cell wall of the uh, uh, common baker's yeast. So uh, there's a company over in South Carolina that makes a beta glucan that's uh, really very good, very effective. But I haven't been taking, I haven't thought about it in a long time. Uh, But uh, let's go back to cheap things. Uh, Zinc. You ought to be taking 50 milligrams of zinc in your supplements uh, per day. Uh, It is absolutely critical for fighting viral infections. Okay? I'm going to try to keep... uh, So... uh, All right. Now, this is... We're staying on the cheap side. And I think you know... I know you know. Uh, if we put a solution, let's say we, we we let's say we've got the flu. We've got whatever this is going around, coronavirus or one of the other flu, you know, one of the other coronaviruses or a cold. It doesn't matter. Um, we take a bottle of over-the-counter hydrogen peroxide. Doesn't have to be food grade. Uh, so you don't have to pay for that. Uh, just a cheap bottle of 3% hydrogen peroxide. You put one bottle of peroxide and two bottles of water together. Now we've tripled the volume. Instead of having one bottle, we've now got three. So the strength is now one third of what it was before. So it's 1%. So we've gone from it's 1% now. 1%. 1%. Hydrogen peroxide, and this works at half a percent as well, but let's just do it at 1%. Uh, 
and you put it in one of those ultrasonic cool mist room humidifiers and every drugstore on earth now must sell them and they're and they're about 50 bucks or 40 bucks something like that and uh, i keep lending them and forgetting who i lent them to and they forget who they borrowed them from so i keep buying them every few years uh but you just put that in the humidifier and run it in the bedroom overnight and usually one one night will cure the flu or a cold now if i contracted this coronavirus and they're telling me that uh oh this thing will destroy even the stem cells in the lungs and so on the thing i would do is i would put the three percent peroxide in the humidifier and then at least every hour on the hour i'd run into the bedroom i'd turn the humidifier on start that mist stream of hydrogen peroxide running up in the air i put my face right into the mist stream and i would inhale through my mouth as quickly as i could and i would get those micro droplets of hydrogen peroxide into my lungs and we'd wrap that thing up in no time flat because as dr yamamoto told me years ago uh even very weak solutions and i forget what what strength he he said but it was very very weak uh solutions of hydrogen peroxide will kill any virus so you want to get it into your lungs wouldn't that be essentially ozone ozone is o3 right yeah and hydrogen peroxide is vaporized how many how many oxygen deals is it carrying it in hydrogen? well it's going to release yeah uh hydrogen peroxide is going to release one it's an unstable molecule Mm -hmm. it it comes apart uh very very readily Mm -hmm. and and it releases one oxygen atom okay now let me ask you okay i'm sorry i want yeah it's it's go it's it's going to quickly combine with another oxygen atom to form a molecule free oxygen o2 Uh uh but but while it is in the single oxygen form, it's very it's a very powerful oxidizing agent. Now it's not as powerful as ozone. Yeah, because that's carrying you can take, more more uh, oxygen. That's O three. Yeah, o, o, it's it's a matter of the stress level in. You think of the uh, chemical bonds as rubber bands, and uh, these these oddball molecules, highly reactive or high high energy molecules like ozone are they've got these these chemical bonds that are stressed so much like rubber bands are pulled around tight and all it takes is the least provocation some catalyst or some condition like ultraviolet light striking hydrogen peroxide. And that stuff comes apart <laughs> like an explosion. Well, it's, my it, my thinking it, here is the coronavirus is this unique, evidently airborne virus. 
I've heard them say you can get it on your skin. It won't do anything to you. You can't do anything, but it's up when it migrates up to those receptors in the nose and the eyes uh, or the mouth uh, that, that you really uh, get it in there. So if it's an airborne virus that is done by sneezing and whatnot, couldn't you take one of these machines with hydrogen peroxide and just have it run in your house and also totally disinfect your house pretty inexpensively that way? Yep, you certainly can. Yep. You're thinking uh, a little a little too aggressively, Roger. You're not Sorry. supposed to do that. I do that. Uh, it's a habit. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. The Fed said but, the same thing. <laughs> well, here's <clears throat> another way you can do this. Uh, is I would use the lower concentration of of hydrogen peroxide if I were going to just run it in the house. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the reason is that uh, 1% solution uh, will uh, it'll sting your eyes a little bit. That's why I always tell people to do it in the bedroom overnight. When you're sleeping, your eyes are closed. Yeah. yeah. And so... And, and if you use it a lot, you know, if you use it several nights in a row, it would, it would uh, bleach your hair a little bit. So I would, if I were going to run it in the house constantly, what I'd do is put about a half percent or even a quarter percent peroxide in the humidifier. So remember, if you want to cut it down to a half percent, uh, you got to, you got to, uh, uh, triple the volume, but you've got to make it six times. So five bottles of water and one bottle of peroxide. But make it a weak solution because even a weak solution that comes in contact with these viruses will kick their rear ends. Well, look, I got and, some good news for all the people. We're talking about doing things on the cheap here. Well, we make and change that because evidently Mnuchin went on TV and said the White House will start sending checks to Americans within two weeks. So the helicopter money's getting getting accumulated and ready to drop, folks. You may have a little budget uptick. Who, who knows? Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they'll be sending me a million-dollar check. <laughs> they will no be. They're going to send you everything that they say you owe the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be You're going to be a wealthy yeah. man, Harvey. I would be. I'd be set for life. Goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that goes back to 1980. Uh, well, uh, yes, it's retroactive. Uh, <laughs> this helicopter money is retroactive. There you go. Uh, <laughs> right, uh, here's, here's another one that gets very little play as a therapy or a prophylactic and that is lugol solution Ooh, lugol. which is it's the first uh, uh, i think I mean, don't hold me to that but I'm you're getting a little garbly the there. Harv, you're getting a little gar- Harv, you're garbling a little Uh-oh. bit. Have you moved away from the router? Yeah. Okay. Be- yeah, that's the problem. I had to, I had to do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, 
uh, Lugol solution is a mixture of iodine and potassium iodide in a uh, water solution. You know, so it's an aqueous solution, not it's not it's not a tincture uh, like we used to put on cuts when we were little kids. Right. Uh, Tincture is an alcohol solution. And so Lugol solution was invented by a French physician in something like 1814 and named uh, Jean Lugol. And still good. You can take a few drops of it and put it in a water pick Dental, you know, gum right. cleaner, right, or de- dental irrigation device, right, and uh, just do that for your mouth every night or two, whatever, whenever you do it, and you will not have any periodontal disease. Really? You don't have to floss your gums. Uh, you know, why is it man is the only creature that roams the earth that has to floss? or brush the teeth. There are dentists that say it's nonsense. So, uh, so Lugol solution, L-U-G-O-L, I use a uh, 2% strength and uh, I'll put uh, oh, three drops or so into a small glass of water and uh, drink it. And it's good for you. you got to have iodine. Oh, circulate yeah. in your body absolutely <clears throat> and um yeah that that um let's see so yeah, what, that, the thyroid that, uh, experiment the, the thyroid's the gland for iodine and yeah that's yeah. the problem with radioactive isotopes is the one of them's an iod- an isotope that's iodine or or mimics it that's and right. if it's out there and you don't have enough iodine in your in your thyroid, if there's a deficiency, then it gets that radioactive molecule isotope and sticks it in your thyroid. And that's why you want to constantly exactly have right. iodine so you're because there's only so much the thyroid will hold. So if it's full of good exactly iodine, right. it will not accept the radioactive isotope. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely correct. So you want to flood, you know, especially in, you know, any kind of nuclear disaster, uh, you'd, you'd want to. Well, don't forget, uh, I mean, they're still dumping radioactive water in the Pacific out of Fukushima now. (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's, that's lovely folks. Uh, but, uh, if you've got a lot of iodine in your system, then you don't have room for radioactive iodine. And uh, both forms are going to be competing for binding sites. So the more you put in of the good stuff, the less you're going to have of the bad stuff. That's all. It's really pretty simple. And and remember, the human body is not so fragile that a little bit of radiation will uh, do you damage. In fact, uh, there's a principle of... Uh, biochemistry known as hormesis, H-O-R-M-E-S-I-S. And hormesis uh, is the principle that recognizes the fact that uh, 
a certain influence, whether it's uh, radiation or uh, a, a chemical uh, in a certain quantity is poisonous, you know, like arsenic is poisonous, but in a tiny amount, it's beneficial and sometimes essential. And arsenic is one of those things. It's, you got to have some of it in your body, but a little too much and you're, you're wearing a tag on your toe. Huh? So, um, so, so it is with radiation. People that live in the high radiation back background radiation areas of the United States, like I think in Colorado, they've got certain areas, don't they? I and, would imagine Nevada's one of them. They've got quite a bit of uranium and stuff out there too. Yeah. Well, wherever you have large natural deposits and uh, uh, large, larger than normal. Uh, background radiation, you find lower rates of cancer. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? Mm. So, and remember, you know, you said something yesterday at the end of the program, and I meant to uh, listen to it last night, but uh, couldn't get to it. I had to do some work on this. Uh, but you said exactly the same thing that Gordon and I were have been saying, and that is, there's some good things that'll come out of uh, epidemics, pandemics, plagues, whatever. Yep. And in fact, yesterday on the American Thinker, uh, they published Gordon's article about that. Uh, and I can't. What What did he? Uh, well, we've I'm got a new. We've got a new species title. of currency. Which toilet paper? It, yeah, which is about yeah, equal to the old currency <laughs> <laughs> in value. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. But but you know, remember that uh, some good things came from, and always will come from, apparently disastrous events. Uh, in the Great Plague uh, of London, which was uh, 1665, um, and the boy, they lost to people in London, but they closed the schools, the universities. And so Isaac Newton returned home to Woolsthorpe, his family estate. And I think he just stayed there pretty much for the rest of his life. But in two years, at the next two years after the schools closed, he was stuck at Woolsthorpe. Uh, he developed his theories on calculus, the new form of math, optics, and the laws of gravitation. Would he have done that if he was in school? Probably not. He had time to think. And also during the, the, the Black Plague that swept Europe and uh, 1300s and uh, and killed, you know, the estimates, nobody knows, but, the you know, they estimate anywhere from uh, 30 to 60% of the population of mm -hmm. Europe mm -hmm. died 
of the bubonic plague and the black plague, black death, whatever you want to call it. But one of the great things that happened was that uh, the people that survived, remember they were poor people and they were, they sold the clothing and bedding of the people who had died. And that clothing, uh, often linen, not cotton, uh, it was used to make paper. And that meant books became cheap by the former standards. And it led to the greatest explosion of knowledge in the history of mankind up until the internet. The, in, in, that's right, the, the personal computer and the internet. So uh, it was a marvelous time, you know. Uh, Books became affordable for businessmen, you know, not for the not for the poorest classes, but uh, but but people of moderate means could afford to buy books. That meant uh, first and foremost, it meant Bibles. Correct. But uh, after that, all sorts of stuff. So uh, Victor Davis Hanson said that you know the medieval outbreak in Europe of the Black Plague uh, likely killed more than the Athenian and Justinian plagues combined, perhaps eventually half of European population, somewhere around 50 to 80 million people. And that was a recent article that he had about the, uh, the, uh, about the latest panic that we're involved with. And, and then uh, I collected back in 2009, I was collecting articles. Uh, of course I was taking care of mom as well. And that, you know, that, that sort of short circuited my writing. You career. were, you were limited. Yeah, I was indeed. <laughs> but, uh, uh, this is from uh, an article back in 2009. It says, Peter Gross, the chief medical officer at Hackensack University Medical Center in New Jersey, said that if the group's scenario comes true, and the group we're talking about is, uh, uh-oh, I got some competition here. Let me let me retreat to a quieter spot. Okay. Uh, we were talking about this gentleman that was at a New Jersey university. Yeah. Stay close can, to stay close to the router if you can. Man, I'm standing right on top of it right oh, now. Okay, good. It's deal. Right beneath the stair. Uh, but uh, the uh, Hackensack University, he was he was the big cheese there. Uh, so this group, and that was uh, President Obama's medical science advisory board. Says it. If this group scenario comes true, quote, I think every hospital in America is going to be in a crunch. We'll be hard pressed to deal with those predictions, he said. But the predictions seem overblown, Gross said, given that swine flu outbreaks in 1968 and 1957 failed to cause as many deaths even with med uh, medical technology and disease surveillance less advanced than today. 
quote, influenza, you can make all the predictions you want, but it's more difficult than predicting the weather, Gross said in a telephone interview today after the advisory report was made public. Quote, if influenza was a stock, I wouldn't touch it. So uh, here was uh, chief medical officer at the Hackensack University Medical Center. It had it was a seven hundred and seventy five bed hospital, uh, and he just says it ain't going to be as bad as they're saying. You know that was, and he was right, wasn't he? Yeah. A friend of mine named Larry Cloud Cloud wrote a few days ago, and he he asked, which is more hazardous to the health and well-being of the majority of Americans, coronavirus or Congress? Which will do us more real individual and collective harm in the long run? That was a few days ago. So uh, here's here's another thing. You know, people are... uh, running out and taking, willingly taking uh, vaccines for this. They've started ex- administering some experimental disease uh, vaccines, I believe. And there's no, there's no safety. They haven't been proven. They don't have any safety or efficacy uh, studies to justify these vaccines. And the tests that they're using to confirm uh, this COVID-19 form of coronavirus, they, they aren't proven either. No. You know, some authorities are pointing out that they're testing for things that are not conclusive evidence of the coronavirus. Right. Or at least this coronavirus. Or that so, are evidence of 10 or 12 combined different viruses, and they can't go in and pinpoint it to this one. Exactly. Now, do you remember a doctor by the name of James Howenstein? Did you ever read any of his stuff? No. This isn't no. my real Ballywick. I'm interested in it, and I keep yeah, up with okay. it peripherally, but I don't studiously attack this, you know, type yeah, of information. Well, you know, I keep articles uh, in the computer, articles that I think are important or useful. Uh But he wrote this back in December of 2003, this article, Why You Should Avoid Taking Vaccines. And uh, he uh, he started off by quoting this Dr. James Shannon, former director of the National Institutes of Health, uh, who said, the only safe vaccine is one that's never used. Correct. How about that? Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. So Howenstein says cowpox vaccine, and you remember the the way vaccine, you know, the word vaccine comes from the Latin word vacus or vacus, meaning a cow. Okay, mm. so they wasn't noticed. This, wasn't this kind of developed by the Pasteur's? No, it was. Well, Pasteur's got in on it, but uh, it was back in the. Uh, uh, mid, I think it was mid 1800s. They noticed that milkmaids mm-hmm. who had contracted uh, uh, cowpox, they got it from the cows. From milking uh, them? Yeah, from milking the cows. They, they, if the cows were infected with cowpox, these, uh-huh. these gals would get it 
and uh, they they never got smallpox. So they started using cowpox to immunize oh. against against smallpox. Uh-huh. And so it said he, he wrote Howenstein wrote cowpox vaccine was believed able to immunize people against smallpox. At the time this vaccine was introduced, there was already a decline in the number of cases of smallpox. Japan introduced compulsory vaccination in 1872. This is Japan. In 1892, there were 165,774 cases of smallpox with 29,000, oh, say 30,000 deaths, despite the vaccination program. A stringent compulsory smallpox vaccine program, which prosecuted those refusing the vaccine, was instituted in England in 1867. Within four years, 97.5% of persons between 2 and 50 had been vaccinated. The following year, England experienced the worst smallpox epidemic in its history with 45,000 deaths. Between 1871 and 1880, the incidence of smallpox escalated from 28 to 46 per 100,000. Wow. The smallpox vaccine does not work, is what Howenstein says. And he said that um, in the early 1900s, an, an astute Indiana physician Dr. W.B. Clark stated, quote, cancer was practically unknown until compulsory vaccination with cowpox vaccine began to be introduced. Is that right? I've had to. Yes, sir. I've had to deal with 200 cases of cancer. and I never saw a case of cancer in an unvaccinated person. Well, it meant something. Mm-hmm. So let's let's zip down. Now, as you know, I had a younger brother, uh, Michael who was uh, the golden boy of the family, the youngest of five children. And he was the cleanest living. He was the healthiest. He was, he was his, his team. He started playing organized sports at age 10, uh, football, basketball, baseball. He was all everything in all of those sports. He was just gifted. And, uh, he at age ten he had a physique like um, a twenty year old. It was just incredible, and he was always in training. And when he was in high school, his buddies on the football team used to go, "Oh, my wife songs here," and he shows up on the first day and he's in shape. They're all groaning, as you may all those that played high school football may remember. Puking. He was always, they were they were over yeah, puking yeah. on the running track. Yeah, and the groin muscles were sore for several days. Uh, everything was, but not Michael. He was always just happy as he could be, and he was always in training. He never smoked. He didn't drink. He uh, he did after he got out of college, but uh, uh, but you know he had no bad habits. So what happened? Because in 19, when was it? 83? I mean, uh, yeah, 1983. He died of Hodgkin's lymphoma. Is that right, Harvey? That's well, before I met you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, 
so uh, farther down in Dr. Howenstein's article, he says Dr. Robert Strecker claimed that the Department of Defense was given $10 million in 1969 to create the AIDS virus to be used as a population-reducing weapon against blacks. By the use of Freedom Information Act, Dr. Strecker was able to learn that DOD secured funds from Congress to perform studies on immune-destroying agents for germ warfare. Okay, so this is not something new. And, Did you say Dr. Uh, Strecker? Yeah, S-T-R-E-C-K-E-R, Robert okay. Strecker. But um, but I, I really sort of got jumped into the article in the wrong spot. Farther on down, he says... In the March 4th, 1977 issue of Science, you know, the world's premier magazine on the sciences, uh, Jonas and Daryl Salk warn live virus vaccines against influenza or poliomyelitis may in each instance produce the disease it intended to prevent. Mm -hmm. The live virus against measles and mumps may produce such side effects as encephalitis, which results in brain uh, uh, damage. The swine flu vaccine was administered to the American public, even though there had never been a case of swine flu identified in a human. Farmers refused to give the vaccine because it killed too many animals. Within a few months of use in humans, this vaccine caused many cases of serious nerve injury. That is Guillain, I can't re- pronounce French words, but I think it's Guillain-Barre syndrome. Yeah, yeah Guillain-Barre. Uh, an article in the Washington Post on January 26, 1988, mentioned that all cases of polio since 1979 have been caused by the polio vaccine with no known cases of polio from a wild strain since 1979. This might have created a perfect situation to discontinue the vaccine, but the vaccine was still given. Vaccines are a wonderful source of profits, with no risk to the drug companies since vaccine injuries are now recompensed by the government at very poor rates. Yeah, and in a a special court. Yeah, and uh, not all cases are compensated. And the uh, government pays but, for both sides of the case. Did you know that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the government, meaning John Q. Public. Uh, so, anyhow, they. Uh, one of the things was this, and I, I can't quickly find it in the article, so I'll just tell you from memory, that uh, the polio vaccine, was contaminated with uh, SV40 right? way back in the 50s. And that's simian, that SV stands for simian virus, which means it came out of the kidneys of the monkeys where they were processing the vaccine. That's right. But, but it was something found in the wild in monkeys. It was number mm-hmm. 40, mm-hmm. simian virus number 40. And one of the long-term effects of that was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Well, my brother, who was the healthiest, I mean, look, the kid grew up and was such a good athlete that he only weighed 145 pounds in college. 
but he played both offense and defense for Georgia Tech on the football team. And when you go out, the water boy was bigger than Michael was. Was that when Bobby Dodd was still there? Was he still there at that point? He was athletic director, but Michael dreamed of playing football for Bobby Dodd. And Georgia Tech began keeping a file of newspaper clippings on Michael when he was age 10. And he was offered a lot of scholarships, but he waited and waited and waited until Tech finally gave him a scholarship. The the audience should know. Your dad was a professor at Georgia Tech. Wasn't that right? Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, we grew up uh, waving white and gold as it was back then. Now they've got black in there somehow, but uh, but the uh, but here's this clean living kid that comes down at age 29 with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. What was the one thing he had done? He had taken that contaminated polio vaccine, right? And had SV40 in it. I said, well, you don't know that that do- you know that that vaccine that Michael got had. Yeah, we do know. We know that SV40 was uh they couldn't get it out of uh, of the uh of the polio the vaccine. right yep they just couldn't do it. so uh yeah there in 1954 dr bernice eddy a bacteriologist discovered live monkey viruses mm-hmm. in supposedly sterile inactivated polio vaccine mm-hmm. developed by Dr. Jonas Salk. Mm-hmm. This discovery was not well received at the NIH and Dr. Eddy was demoted. Not only Later, was she Dr. demoted, she was defunded. Yeah, yeah. Working with Sarah student discovered uh, SE polio uh, polyomavirus. This virus is quite important because it ha- it caused cancer in every animal receiving it. Yellow fever vaccine has previously been found to contain avian uh, or bird uh, leukemia virus. So there's uh, also a the particular latest. particular virulent strain of cancer that this vaccine evidently produces in its victims down the line, and that is called yeah. a geoblastoma. And it's a brain yeah. cancer that doubles yeah. in size virtually overnight. Mm. And is almost, there well, are very, very few survivors from geoblastomas, the way I understand it. Yeah. Uh, but it goes on, it says, later Dr. Hilleman isolated SV40 virus from both Salk and Sabin polio vaccines. There were 40 different viruses in these polio vaccines Mm. they were trying to eradicate. 40 viruses. They were never able to get rid of these viruses contaminating the polio vaccines. The SV40 virus causes malignancies. It it has now been identified in 43% of the cases of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. 36% of brain tumors. 18% of healthy blood samples and 22% of healthy semen samples, uh, mesotheliomas, and other malignancies. By the time of this discovery, SV40 had already been injected into 10 million people in salt vaccine. So it just goes on and on like that. So 
if somebody offers to give you a vaccine, run in the other direction. Quickly. They, yeah, A, they don't work. B, and they, if they, well, they do and work. And if they try and force one on you, tell them you're not a person and drag out your affidavit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can tell them what I told them. So tell the colonel to get the MPs to, to, to drag me down to get a vaccine or he can court-martial me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's got to be but, voluntary, and I ain't volunteering. That's exactly right. Uh, and when President Clinton forced that, uh, what was that vaccine they had for the bacteria that uh, they suspected was used? Uh, oh, what's that? that uh, it starts with bacterial the G. agent. That G for the, that no, they gave to to uh, females that they're now forcing well, on no, men. Well, not 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 yeah, not Gardasil. Gardasil. Uh, that's that's another. What another. What a hoax that is. Uh, the whole They're thing's gonna... a hoax. Oh, top to bottom, yep. left to right, as far as you can see, the whole darn thing's a hoax. Yep. Uh, so, uh, the here's the upshot. Nutri- good nutrition and good hygiene, both personal and shall we say, public hygiene are the keys to preventing these diseases and epidemics, plagues, whatever you want to call them, pandemics. Right. And back in the Middle Ages, if people didn't have toilets in the houses, they had chamber pots. And they call the feces night soil. And when the morning came, the servants in the household, if they, they did have servants, and they were in the city, they'd go to the window and dump the chamber pot That's outside right. the house. Right out in the front street in, in England. Yep. And so why, have, was, why would anybody today be surprised that uh, a nation that didn't recognize rats as a vector of disease— a nation that, uh, or I shouldn't say a nation, but a civilization that didn't recognize uh, uh, human waste as a danger. Why on earth would anyone be surprised that they had plagues, pandemics, uh, incredibly high death rates? Just, I'm just surprised that any of them lived. It's a, it's a testament to the resilience of the human body that, uh, that any of them survived. They were filthy. They were living just like those homeless people, uh, street people out in California are living today. I was, I've been watching and, a lot of some of these old English, uh, a lot of stuff on England lately, and talking about the monks back before Henry VIII when the monasteries ruled England. And yeah. it was they. If you took a bath more than twice a year, you were considered you were looked down on. Taking a yeah. bath was not something that the monks adhered to, and they might. Well, they thought it was dangerous. If, if they got one, if they got a monk that took four baths a year, he was almost condemned. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I'll tell you. 
Yeah, this is some this funny story. I think I'm laughing at it. Um, maybe you will. Well, hold. Let but, me tell you, we don't have but a few minutes left, so just beware of that. In a couple, yeah, about, uh, three minutes left, probably something four, maybe. Go ahead. Well, well, when I was in Vietnam, I had my platoon out on patrol. It was a long, long patrol, and we actually got off our intended uh, patrol line, and we came up to a rice paddy. Now I looked to the left, and it was way over a quarter mile to the left. And I looked to the right, and way over a quarter mile to the right. And and I said, let's go across this thing. And Corporal Pitts, who was really experienced, said, oh, Lieutenant, we better go around. And I said, well, let's just go across. One. I, you know, it looks okay. I see footprints on the on the dike, so somebody had been walking on it. Uh, we ought to be okay. So I sent first squad across, and they got across, and I went across next with my platoon headquarters. And, you know, as when you take a mud ball and you make it up, and it's dry mud, and you start shaking it, it turns kind of liquid and runs. That's what happens in all these mudslides mm-hmm. is to get ground saturated and, and a truck drives by and shakes the ground a little bit. It turns to a liquid and the whole hill slides down. Well, that's what happened under my feet. And I wound up neck deep in the rice paddy crawling with my rifle <laughs> through that. And it fertilized with, human and buffalo dung. And we all, I was laughing as much as my platoon was. The rest of them went around, you might guess. And uh, and I was covered. And my feet got an infection I had uh, on my feet that was the worst infection, skin infection I've ever seen on anybody. And uh, uh, it took a some creative work to get rid of because the drugs we had did nothing for it. But, uh, but it was that exposure to human and animal dung that caused this infection. And it, I threw those boots away, got a fresh pair and we started over. You broke, but, broke in a uh, new pair, did you? You bet I did brother. Uh, but, but anyhow, that's the key is good nutrition and and i guess when you say good nutrition the the first law of that is don't buy prepared foods yeah. if you can avoid it yeah so that's it yeah anyhow well, Roger, well you can't run down to any of the story. restaurants however i'm told that the restaurants can do delivery so you still can get some of that stuff if you want the bad stuff try and do the good stuff i want to thank harvey for taking the time out of your obviously you're off helping your brother and stuff and doing work and taking the time out of here to not only put the show together today but deliver it to us and i hope everybody got some uh something to grab onto in this and maybe enlarged your scientific understanding a bit so thank you much mr harvey we sure appreciate you buddy 
And, yes, sir. Uh, what a joy. I hope it helps. You know, for me, what a joy after all these years to bring on people that really mean a lot to you, that bring a lot to the table to offer for everybody, and to be able to have a conversation like this is very rewarding for me, Harvey. So, anyway, yeah, I'm just, for me too. good, buddy. Well, it's real glad that uh, we had you on, and it's always a pleasure. I guess tomorrow we'll have Paul and see what's going on over on the English side, and we'll see what else uh, develops uh, globally in the next 24 hours because this is one fast-moving story with all kinds of effects. Uh, and uh, just stay tuned. We'll be back to talk about it tomorrow. Hope you got something out of today's show. Thanks again, Harv. I'll see you soon, bud. Oh, you bet. Thank you, Roger. Mother Earth will swallow.